Greetings and welcome to White's Run Baptist Church. We are doing this online and uh, we've composed a video here for you that is the third in a series called Witnesses of the King. And today we're going to talk about what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first came upon the early church. So I want to welcome you and thank you for coming and being a part of what we're doing. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today, in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be studying about this uh, famous day of Pentecost. And we're going to be continuing our series called Witnesses of the King, in which we are looking at the book of Acts. We are discovering uh, what the early church was like, how the uh, gospel was initially spread. We're looking at some of the great themes that run through this book about the Great Commission, uh, the importance of the preaching the Word of God in the spreading of the church and what the content of that preaching was. And today we're going to take a good look at this uh, occurrence at the at Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit uh, first came upon the church in a very new and different way. Last time we saw very clearly that the Holy Spirit has been at work all through uh, the ages, ever since creation, really, uh, in working with people and dealing with people uh, after the fall in, and helping them to serve God and things of that nature. But this is something new and something different, and we're going to look at this today. Now, the setting is this. The setting is the, at the uh, Pentecost, which was an annual feast that was given uh, to the Israelites to observe by God in the law of Moses. And this uh, is sometimes called Pentecost. It's the annual feast of the harvest, sometimes called the ingathering or the feast of weeks because it came a week of weeks, that is seven sevens, 49 days, uh, after the Passover. So it was actually the 50th day after the Passover celebration, and hence the name Pentecost, which means 50th. It was kind of a thanksgiving at the end of the barley harvest, and it was also the beginning of the wheat harvest. So occasionally, this is called first fruits, which often gets it confused with uh, what occurs there close to the Passover, which is also a time called first fruits as part of the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. So here at Pentecost, we find the disciples. They're gathered together, as we saw in chapter 1. This 120 or so had been gathered together uh, continually in prayer in an upper room of a home somewhere there in Jerusalem. What we're going to see is that's where they are when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now I want to remind you, this is what they were waiting for. This was the moment that the uh, that Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they were instructed by Jesus to stay there in Jerusalem until this happened, whatever this is. We don't know how much detail he gave them about what it would be like, but nevertheless, this is clearly what he was speaking of because uh, things are pretty quiet until chapter 2. So we're going to read in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and the, the same 120, probably in the upper room, but likely then, somewhere in this scene, it transitions to a large public place, because we know as the proclamation came, as Peter gave his great sermon, that there were some 3,000 added to their number that day. So likely 
during the scene that we're reading, at some point they transition to go outside, probably to the temple area where there's enough space for this many people, and began to make their proclamation there. So let's uh, turn to the scriptures then and read this together. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for bringing us together. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share in your word. And Lord, as we see the Holy Spirit come upon the believers here in Jerusalem, we pray you would send it upon us as well, that indeed you would give us understanding of these scriptures, for these things are spiritually discerned. But you promised that the Spirit would guide us into all truth, that the Spirit would bring to remembrance the things that Jesus taught the apostles. And we believe that by continuation they will bring to our knowledge the things that you are teaching here in the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you be glorified by what's said here today, and I pray that all of us seek to know you, seek to serve you, and seek indeed to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your coming and your attending us and your helping us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we have a, a fantastic scene. The Holy Spirit fills the believers with the presence of God and the power of God in order to fulfill the purposes of God. Yes, that's our outline today, that the Holy Spirit fills the believers with the presence and the power of God and in order to fulfill the purposes of God. And you can alliterate nearly anything with P's uh, when it comes to biblical truth. But let's take a look at this first one, uh, the presence of God. First of all, this sound that comes upon them, the sound displays the presence of God. It was sudden. It wasn't something that kind of wound up. It wasn't something they, they heard coming slowly and quietly, and then it became great. No, it was suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a mighty sound, a sound just like wind. But this is truly miraculous because there's really no accompanying storm. There's no account of wind blowing things over or anything. And this is happening inside at this point because they are inside the house. It filled the entire house. So this is truly a miraculous bringing of this great sound that the Lord brings to perhaps draw attention to what is happening. 
This is the presence of God. It's, it's like wind. It's like a storm, but it is inside. This had never happened before. And this must be what Jesus meant when he said, wait here until you receive power. And maybe the disciples were like, okay, well, how's it going to be that we're going to receive this power? What's that going to look like? Uh, well, I don't think they needed any instruction or any details. I think when this happened, they suddenly realized, okay, this is clearly it. This is clearly something different. It's been quiet since Jesus left. Uh, we're reminded when Jesus spoke in John chapter 3, he spoke to a man named Nicodemus who came to him at night with some questions, recognized Jesus was from God, and, John, and Jesus tells him something shocking that you can't enter or even see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. And then Jesus says, one must be born of water and the Spirit. And he speaks about the spirit. And this word that he uses for spirit can mean wind or breath or spirit. That's the same word we have here. Now, this word sound is kind of related to that, but it's a, it's a great sound of this wind. And Jesus gives a picture then of the spirit. And he describes it like wind in this, that you, you see its effect but you don't really see the wind itself. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And here we have, kind of in a very dramatic way, a wind, a sound like a mighty wind. And this should be a reminder of what Jesus has said about the Spirit, that it is like a wind. This should be a reminder of when God made man in Genesis 2, 7, that he breathed into man the breath of life. This is the same word being used that means both breath and spirit. And so as God gave man life by giving him breath, by giving him the breath of life or the spirit of life, so indeed he gives rebirth in the same way. And here comes the spirit, mighty, powerful, and he pours it out on his people in a new and different way. The next thing I want to draw attention to is these tongues, uh, divided tongues as of fire. And the way he says it, he says, as of fire, indicating this is not actual fire, but they look like fire and they look like tongues. And so Luke is describing here to the best of his ability what was seen by the disciples on that day. They heard the wind, but they saw fire. When you search the Bible about the connection of fire to God, what you will find is you'll find the predominant association of fire with God is that he is a consuming fire. He's described this way in the book of Deuteronomy, which is echoed in the book of Hebrews for us. And we find that the idea of him being a consuming fire is all throughout scripture. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in the prophets. Fire is also a theme of God's great theophanies. Now, theophanies is when God actually shows up. He reveals himself. And a the, you know, famous theophany involving fire would, of course, be the burning bush. When Moses saw this burning bush, we'll talk about more that more in a moment. But when uh, he appeared to them giving the law on Mount Sinai, that the fire was seen at the top of the mountain, when he led the Israelites in the wilderness, he went in front of them as a pillar of fire. We know that the prophet Elijah was taken up by a chariot of fire. 
And in the Pentateuch, that is in the first five books of the Bible, when the Israelites get to know God and they build the tabernacle, the fire comes out from the holy place and consumes the offerings that were given and happened several times in the book of, in the, in the Pentateuch. We also read of fire as consuming the enemies of God all throughout the Psalms and the prophets and even the book of Revelation. It's with fire that God will judge the earth and make ultimately a new heaven and new earth. And figuratively, in the New Testament, when fire is spoken of, it talks about the works that believers do and that they will be tested as if by fire. The godly works will survive. That is, their precious metals, their jewels. They're the things that will survive a fire or judgment. But the selfish works are like wheat and chaff, they will burn up. And so there are two profound exceptions to the fire of God not consuming. One of them being in Exodus chapter 3, in which God first reveals himself to Moses, and he appears in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Look what it says here. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, that is to Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And so this is kind of an odd thing. This is why, you know, Moses looks around and he says, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So what was remarkable about the burning bush, as we call it, is that the bush was not being consumed by the fire. Now here in Acts chapter 2, these flaming uh, tongues uh, as of fire come upon the people in verse 3 and rested on each one of them. And of course, this is not literal fire, but perhaps this coming upon them is symbolic to show us several things. Why are these like fire? Well, because this is the presence of God. This is the Holy Spirit coming upon the people. So God wants to show very clearly the Holy Spirit's upon each and every one of them. Perhaps it also speaks of the purifying effect of fire. That is, fire in the Bible is thought of as being purifying. Sometimes God speaks of purifying his people like, he, like you would uh, with fire, precious metals in which you would melt them down and you would heat them greatly to drive off the impurities. Perhaps this fire is also speaking of light because we know that God is light and in him is no darkness. Now, why these came on each one? Uh, well, I think two reasons. I think to show that they're not consumed, but also to show that indeed the Holy Spirit is on each and every individual believers, but it came upon them collectively. Why are they shaped like tongues? Well, I think it's very apparent from the passage we read. They're about to proclaim, as it says in verse 11, the mighty works of God. So the tongues of fire would suggest that these believers are going to bring the very word of God. They're going to bring it pure, and it's going to be full of light. It's going to illumine the masses. Now, one more suggestion is that the fire coming to rest on each one may be another kind of burning bush illustration. The fact that they are consumed. What is not consumed by fire? What is not consumed by fire is that which is already tested and pure. 
How do you want to know if a sample of gold is completely pure? Well, the best way is to melt it down and see if anything floats. Impurities will tend to float when metal like that is heated to the melting point. But let's take a look at Isaiah. What does he say about this? What is not consumed by fire? Look what it says in the book of Isaiah, starting in chapter 33, verse 13. He says, Hear, you who are far off, what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. Often when the prophets speak of the coming gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, it will bring in and address both those who are near and far. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? The question is asked. Is it answered? Look at verse 15. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands uh, lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortresses of the rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. The believer those who are righteous in Christ, those who are righteous, but believers we know have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, stand before God as righteous. They have received the bread of life. They have received the living water. Believers are not consumed by a consuming fire. And this passage is one why I'm convinced that part of what God was saying here is that this fire comes upon them and yet they are already righteous. They are not consumed by it. They are able to have, because of the work of Jesus Christ, because all of their sins have been atoned for in the work of Christ, they can have the actual presence of God upon them. This is why it's so important that people understand that without the atoning sacrifice of Christ, without him taking our place and taking the wrath of God we deserve for our sins, there would be no way that we could stand in the presence of God because he is a holy God. He is as a consuming fire. He will not tolerate sin in his presence. He cannot, and he is of love, so he will not tolerate sin in his presence. So how is it that we can stand in his presence, not be consumed by him as a fire? By the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. This is the very presence of God on these believers. And it is showing indeed that they are not consumed, that they are pure, that they are righteous and can have this spirit of God upon them by the work of God. So this is important, the uh, presence of God, but also the power of God is present here. What power is this? In this instance that we're seeing in Acts chapter 2, it, it gives the power to speak to another, to speak to other people in a, another language previously unknown. This is powerfully important. Remember, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this power manifests itself this day in being able to speak in other languages. This is a miracle done in the power of the Holy Spirit on each one of these people. 
Now, moving forward in the book of Acts, what we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit also gives them the power to heal, the power to raise people from the dead in support of the message, always in support of the message of the gospel, to endorse the authority of the apostolic truth being proclaimed, the truth of Jesus Christ. This is the same way in which Jesus used miracles to prove the source of his own message. You'll recall when a man was brought to him that was paralyzed, he told the man, your sins are forgiven. And it made some of the leaders angry. They said, you can't say that. Only God can forgive sin. <laughs> Knowing what was in their hearts, he said, hey, what's harder for me to say his sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so you'll know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He looks to the man, he says, rise, take up your mat and walk. Jesus did this. He did miracles to display the reality of who he was and why he came. His power, his divine authority. And the apostles do the same thing. By the power of the Spirit, they do these great wonders and signs so that their message will be endorsed. Why aren't they doing it today? Why aren't there apostles today? Because we have the Word of God. We have their signs and wonders recorded for us in Holy Scripture. The Holy Spirit can work with those as easily as he can work with us in the very presence of a miracle. And we're going to see this Holy Spirit give power to the believers to boldly proclaim the truth of God in any condition, even to the very people that crucified Jesus. They're going to have the power to sing and to praise God even from prison. We'll see that. They're going to have the power to endure all kinds of persecution without quitting, to continue to worship Jesus, to continue to preach despite opposition. This is power, and this is the power to bring the Word of God to all kinds of people. This is the power of God, but this power is not a plaything for the believer. This power is not subjected to the will of the believers alone. It's subjected to the will of the believer insofar as he is in line with the will of God. This power always supports the purposes of God. Here's what I want you to see today, is that this power always supports the purposes of God. There are several uh, misconceptions about the purposes of the Holy Spirit. There are many misconceptions about the purposes of speaking in tongues. But here's what I want to show you. When you look at this text, and you look at the other text I'm about to show you that this is a fulfillment of, it will make very clear what the purpose of the sending of the Holy Spirit is. And when you understand the purpose of the sending of the Holy Spirit, you will understand the purpose of speaking in tongues. All the misconceptions about speaking in tongues can be pushed away and, and pushed off to the side and eliminated as distractions from the truth by this simple matter, by understanding why God gave the Spirit. If you understand why he gave the Spirit, you're going to understand the right place and time for the speaking in tongues. First of all, these misconceptions. One common misconception is that the uh, Holy Spirit is given so that we can have speaking in tongues as evidence of salvation. The Spirit does indeed give an inward testimony to the believer. The, the New Testament makes clear that the Spirit gives us a spirit that said, cries out, Abba, Father. 
In other words, it's this spirit of adoption, as it's called, that we then understand God to be our Father. It's also referred to as the earnest money or the down payment that the believer has an inner testimony to himself that God indeed has uh, has a promise for him and a promise that he is going to keep. The Spirit gives this internal testimony. But nowhere in the scripture is tongues described as a necessary sign for each believer. Rather, Jesus shows very clearly that the signs of a believer are the evidence of the work of the Spirit in setting them apart and purifying them. How does he say this? Well, he says, people will know your mind by this, that you love one another. And he says, if you obey me, you will show that you're truly my disciples. These are the signs of true disciples, and the Holy Spirit works these in us as he works in us obedience. In Acts chapter 10, indeed, the speaking in tongues was an initial sign to Peter and to the others that the gospel was operative in the Gentiles in the same way as the Jews here on the day of Pentecost. Look what he says there about, about this. Ah, eh, we don't have time to go there. But nevertheless, uh, what I want to show you is um, that is a common misconception that we must have the spirit and speaking in tongues will be the representation of that spirit and until you speak in tongues you're not a true believer or you don't have the spirit or you don't have the second blessing no matter what these are all misconceptions and i'll show you why in a moment but another reason that's often thought is that the holy spirit is given to us to give us excitement or to give us good feelings now indeed the spirit is called the comforter but he's called the comforter as more of an advocacy role, more of an a counsel or an attorney rather than a therapeutic sedative or some kind of energy rush. The spirit does bring reassurance of the truths of the gospel to the believer. So therefore, the spirit comes with joy and it comes with peace. It comes with encouragement and confidence. But these are side effects of the truth that the Holy Spirit brings. It's not the purpose of the spirit itself. It does yield good feelings, but that is not the primary purpose of it. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, the primary purposes are to glorify God in believers and equip them to share the gospel. The primary purposes of the Holy Spirit are to glorify God in believers and equip them to share the gospel. Let me show you. We already looked at Acts 1.8 where Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. In other words, the power was what was used for them to be witnesses. They had to wait for the power in order to be effective witnesses. Ultimately, uh, what we're going to see, the ultimate passages on the Holy Spirit are John chapter 14, John chapter 16. And it is there that Jesus explains what the Spirit would actually do. And all of it has to do with making God known to believers from convicting the believer of sin all the way through teaching the believer all truth and bringing the believer into all truth. It all points to Jesus Christ. Look how he says it here in John chapter 16, starting in verse 13. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Let me bring this up for you. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I made the uh, assertion that the primary purposes are to glorify God and believers and equip them to share the gospel. And look what it says here in the scriptures very clearly. They glorify Christ and that what the Father has is Christ, so therefore it glorifies also the Father. It glorifies God in the believer. This is the Holy Spirit working internally in the believer. And then when the believer makes proclamation, as they do here in Acts chapter 2, it spreads that glory and it helps that, equips them to share the gospel. When that gospel is shared, it brings more glory to God. And so the Holy Spirit is about the glory of God and about equipping the believer to glorify him even more. This is indeed what is happening here. But I want you to look at something else that this fulfills uh, to, to further show you that this is ultimately about the proclamation of the truth. In Numbers chapter 11, uh, Jethro, Moses' uh, father-in-law, comes to him and he says, Look, what you're doing is not good because Moses was sitting literally all day just hearing all the issues people had and settling disputes and things like that. And Jethro comes to him and says, this isn't good. You need to spread out this work. You need to appoint some elders. And God backs him up on this advice and tells Moses, go get yourself 70 uh, elders and I'll give them some of the same spirit that I've given to you. So the spirit comes upon these guys and they all prophesy immediately. Look what he says um, down here in verse 27 as he assembles these elders here. A young man ran and told Moses. So, you know, back up here, just a few things. As soon as the spirit rested on them in verse 25, they prophesied. Okay. Now, two men remained in the camp. So these guys weren't there with the rest of the 70 in the tent of meeting. One was named Eldad, the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, in other words, among the 70. But they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, his sister, Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. Why, he says this, I don't know. But look at Moses' response here. You know, maybe Joshua thought this was some kind of an insurrection. These guys are taking Moses' place because Moses was their primary prophet. But look what Moses says. He says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people. Now, when you see in the Bible, a something begins with the word would. That means this is a prayer or a wish. It's an expression of a desire. He says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Do you see what Moses says as a prayer becomes reality in Acts chapter 2? He kind of saw this coming. He knew God very well, and he knew this would be a better situation. And so he lifts it up as kind of a prayer. I wish it were so, that the spirit would come upon all and that all would prophesy. And here it is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Also in Acts chapter 2 is some of the people begin to mock and they say, oh, look, they're filled with new wine. Peter kind of pushes that aside right away when he stands up and speaks. And we'll look at this more in depth next week. But he cites Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. 
And here in, in his account in the book of Acts, as he's giving the sermon, he begins with this. And he says this is a fulfillment of this. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now look what happens when he pours it out. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, that is, they shall speak for God. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. What are visions and dreams? Other ways of God communicating himself to his people. He is prophesying, he's giving dreams, he's giving visions. These are all ways of God communicating. How? By the Spirit. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes a great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here, this messaging from God in the forms of prophesying and dreams and visions are accompanied by signs and wonders. That's what we see happening here in the book of Acts. They're proclaiming the truth of God. It's being endorsed with signs and wonders. It's all happening here and it's wrapped up in a singular purpose. What? That those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Spirit is poured out as a revelation of God so that he can be known and glorified and through that many be saved. If you refer to another great new covenant passage in Jeremiah 31, you're also going to find that God puts the law within believers, each and every one of them, so that all of them will know God. They won't have to teach one another so much, but they will all know God and he does it by his spirit. God gives the Spirit to his people, not as a plaything, not as a way to get attention or approval for oneself, but as a way uh, to reveal himself, to do his will in believers, and through them to do his will in the world. This is not, he doesn't give the spirit to separate first class Christians from second class Christians or anything else. There are no second class Christians. They all receive the spirit of God for these purposes. And so now we understand the primary purpose of the coming of the spirit. We'll also rightly understand this issue of speaking in tongues here in Acts chapter 2. Why did they speak in tongues? Because that's what must happen when the spirit comes. No, they spoke in tongues so that people from all over the world, all these other languages, would be able to understand. Uh, look what happens here. Uh, I'll take you to a map here. Uh, I've got a map here of uh, the various people that came at the day of Pentecost. And if we look all around the world here, you know, you see Crete uh, out there in the Mediterranean Sea. You see Cyrene in North Africa there. Way over in the east, you see Media and Parthia, Mesopotamia, Elam down the south, Arabia. North up there, you have Asia Minor with Phrygia and Cappadocia and Pontus. See, these are all the places these people are from. What happened was God, in his great wisdom, scattered the people of Israel in the Old Testament. We read all about it in the book of Kings and Chronicles and the prophets talk all about it when they were scattered by the Assyrians and later by the Babylonians and sent into exile 
they were scattered all over the known world at the time. They spread their language and their teaching, and this word proselyte refers to Gentiles that became Jews. And so these people have come from around the world to Jerusalem because Pentecost is one of the three great festival days that God said, you've got to go back to Jerusalem and, and worship this together in the land. And so they were supposed to come back to the land to worship this. And here they are from all over the world. So what does God do? He makes it so they can all receive this message and carry it back to their homes. This is God simply being practical, simply giving this that it can be heard in the languages of all those who need to hear it. This is the purpose of God, to bring forth this great work and this great wonder. The primary purposes of the Holy Spirit are to glorify God believers and equip them to share the gospel. This is exactly what we see happening. And it is a beautiful miracle to accompany this, that these people hear these great truths in their own languages. So how, how are we encouraged by this today? Well, I first of all want to warn you uh, about this teaching, that there are ditches on each side of the road. We find that very often to be true. Uh, there, there are ways to take this wrong in two seemingly opposite ways. The first is this. Some will read Acts chapter 2 and believe this must be normative. Every Sunday morning ought to be like this. We ought to speak in tongues every Sunday morning. We ought to have all this excitement and, and everything else. Every Sunday morning ought to be like this if we are true believers like they are in Acts chapter 2. Well, that's a ditch on one side of the road. The, the interesting thing I see is that, that churches that are convinced of this, that indeed believe because of Acts chapter 2, that they should have great speaking in tongues and great excitement and everything on every single Sunday, uh, they never seek this great sound. And they never expect to see visibly these tongues as a fire come and rest upon each one of them. What they're doing is they're picking and choosing those things which they can achieve in their worship service and ignoring the others. Indeed, that is one ditch on one side of the road, that this is normative and every Sunday ought to look like this. Now, the ditch on the other side of the road is this, that we ought not to expect a filling of the Holy Spirit, that we ought not to expect this kind of empowerment. Look, the significance of Pentecost continues. The middle of the road is this like Passover was a memorial, like the lingering impact of the cross is continually celebrated. And Sunday after Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because those things are still relevant to us today. So it is with this day of Pentecost. It is still relevant to us today because the impact continues and the giving of the Spirit continues. Does it always manifest itself in the speaking in tongues and, and with this loud noise and with the, the tongues as a fire? No, that was really this one-time thing. Now, it's done a second time in Acts chapter 10, but the response to it in Acts chapter 11 is very clear. The early believers, the apostles, understood that occurrence in Acts chapter 10 as pointing them to what happened here in chapter 2 so that they would get the message God is sending the gospel to the Gentiles in the same way as he gave it to the Jews. 
Now we saw last time that the Spirit indeed was active, has always been active prior to this day, that it could fill people, empower people, but those comings and goings, they were temporary. Now it's permanent. The Spirit empowers you for the work of the ministry. On that day of Pentecost, for the first time, the Holy Spirit came upon people in this new covenant. Context. Opening a new age in God's redemptive plan. This is when God unlocked, really, the power of the Holy Spirit like never before, so that each believer in every church can be filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of God to fulfill his mission through his church to this very day. That wind and fire is as much for us today as it was for them in that day. Not in the same manifestation or gifts, but in the same presence and power. I want to share a quote with you uh, by R.C. Sproul. How am I going to do that? <laughs> Here it is. Let me give this to you. Listen to what R.C. Sproul says about this. He says, God wants people whose hearts are on fire. When the Spirit comes upon a person, he kindles that spark. He starts a flame that consumes the heart, consumes the soul, so that the affection that is born in us that hour is to increase in its intensity as we grow in Christ. And the fuel for that fire is the word and prayer and the sacraments. So what is my encouragement to you this day? My encouragement to you this day, first of all, is this. Repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. For there is no other name under heaven by which God has given that we must be saved. And so I command you today, Repent and trust the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. For in him alone is salvation. The only reason these people could stand there with the Spirit of God upon them in this way is that they were righteous by the blood of Christ, by the work of Christ. They were washed clean of their sins so that the Holy Spirit could come upon them in this way. So my first encouragement to you is to repent and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. This same power that manifested itself in these miracles and in this miraculous proclamation of the truth and this rapid and intense spreading of the gospel that we read about in the book of Acts, this same power God will use to transform you, to save you, to make you be born again, that he will move you from death to life, that he will take your sins and put them on the cross, and that he will separate you from those sins as far as the east is from the west. He'll remember them no more. They'll not be brought up again. He does that by his great power, by this same power that you're reading about here in the book of Acts. Now, if he has that much power, can he not also put in you new desires? He will change the desires of your heart. You need to trust Jesus Christ for this. You do not need to say, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. I don't know if I'm, I'm worthy of this. I don't know if I can do this. Let me tell you something. You are not worthy of this. You do not deserve this. You cannot do this. But God can. He'll decide if you're worthy. Let him decide. Put it in his lap. 
Repent of your sins. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his power to save you. And secondarily, I would encourage you that having already done that, you're sure that you've trusted God. You already have his Holy Spirit within you. I'll tell you this. Seek God. Seek him in his word. Seek him in prayer. And this same power will enable you to find. This is the promise of Jesus Christ that he who seeks finds. He who knocks it will be open to him. If you desire to know God more, seek him and I guarantee you will know him more. How do I know that? Because I know from reading the scriptures that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make God known to you so that you can make him known to others. So seek God and seek opportunity. Seek opportunity to proclaim this truth to others. We'll talk later in the book of Acts about the distinction between what's called the filling of the Holy Spirit and this common giving of the Holy Spirit that happens to all believers. There's a special filling of the Holy Spirit that seems to accompany the proclamation of the Word of God. And I'll say if you've never proclaimed the truth of God to somebody, you've probably not experienced this. But if you'd like to, seek opportunity to share the truth of God with other people because you want to share the truth of God with other people. You desire that all should be saved because you have the Spirit of God in you, that that is the desire of God. He desires that all should be saved. And so indeed, seek opportunity to share this truth with others. If nothing else, just open the Bible up and say, look what Peter said about Jesus. Let's read it together. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. Let's end with a word of prayer. Father God, we praise you today because you deserve all the glory and honor for it is by your power that these things happened. It is according to your salvation plan that these have, have been established. So Lord, I pray this day that you'd be lifted up in our sight, that you would be made magnificent to us, I pray that we would be overwhelmed with your greatness. I pray that we would be stunned by your power, by your wonder, and by your truth. Fill us this day with your spirit to proclaim your great truth to others who need it so desperately, to a world that so desperately needs us to act on what we know. Lord, help us to know you more, and to make you known this day. Oh, we praise you and adore you, Jesus, for the goodness that you have, that you would share these great gifts with those such as us. So, Lord, I pray that we would have the faith to take hold and to know you more. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thank you for attending and, and being a part of this today. I encourage you to contact us if you have any kind of questions or comments, uh, even objections, even arguments that you want to get into. Uh, we'll entertain some of that. You can contact us at whitesrun.org or you can email us directly at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. And at whitesrun.org, you can find much more information uh, about us and about our church, uh, even how to get here and how you might attend services with us. And whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com is a great way to email me personally. I will read those emails. I'll respond to them personally. We'll put you on an annoying list, but simply use them uh, to communicate 
the truth of God. So God bless you. May your day be enjoyable. May it be blessed and filled with wonder for God.